Do you want your middle school girl to grow into a strong, confident, and resilient young adult? So do I. The only thing is, middle school's hard for both kids and parents. Welcome to the Raising Middle School Girls podcast. I'm Janice Scholl, and I'm just a regular parent on a mission to uncover the best tips and advice for raising middle school girls. Hey there, parents. Today, I'm interviewing certified parenting coach, author, podcaster, and speaker, Robin McMahon. Robin is a parenting expert and consultant for the international personal development app, Live More. Robin also sits on the expert panel for Newsweek Magazine, where she contributes to and writes articles related to parenting for the publication. Robin knows parenting, but what I really appreciate the most about her is her honesty in the challenges she's faced personally as a mother. She didn't just start out good at parenting. She was actually a self-proclaimed angry mom long before she was teaching and coaching parents in the way of peaceful parenting. In this episode, Robin shares her story of what parenting felt like at first and how she was able to change her family's story. And she also gives us a roadmap for how to speak to your kid when they're upset to diffuse the situation. While these techniques will work for any tween or teen, they can be especially helpful for those kids who feel things strongly and may be a challenge to parent. Welcome, Robin. Thanks so much for joining me today. Janice, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here and I'm so happy to be talking to you. Well, I am so excited to be talking to you because you are the parenting coach for regular parents, I feel like. You acknowledge the challenges that you've had as a parent. And that's really, it's really in line with what I feel like parents need today. So can you tell me a little bit about how you became a parenting coach and why? Okay. Yes. Uh, (laughs) So I have two boys. They're both teenagers now. And when I first became a mom, I thought I would love being a mom. And to make a long story short, I I hated it. I didn't like it at all. I have one son who is so difficult to parent in so many different ways that he brought me to my knees and I was so angry. I was yelling all the time. It was so opposite of who I wanted to be as a parent. Like I, I'm a love bug and I'm fun and my default setting is bubbly and I was not that way as a mom and every cell in my body, I could just feel was rejecting this person who I'd become this angry person who be angry one minute and crying the next and feeling terrible about myself and beating myself up. And I didn't want anyone to know. And so I had this deep shame. So I went to find help for myself, help for my son. And my son has pretty extreme behaviors. He has intense emotions. He's extremely defiant. And now he's 17. So I can tell you that through the years, and it has taken many, many years, many doctors saying, no, no, it's all your fault, Robin, or, you know, you guys need to change the way you're parenting. And I was like, okay, well, I could see that a little bit, but there's also something going on with my kid. Like what's going on with my kid, right? So it took a long time. We've, we do know now that he has ADHD, he has learning disabilities, he has oppositional defiance disorder, and he has obsessive compulsive disorder. So that plus you add in, you know, depression, anxiety, all of that stuff. He's, he's like a, uh, 
he's like a full contact sport, right? Like that's somebody said that <laughs> yeah. to me once and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a good description. Like he never stops. Plus he doesn't ever want to go with the flow. And so I, I really struggled with him and I had gotten professional help for myself and for him and it wasn't working until I found the world of peaceful parenting. And what, what I, the first thing that I saw that resonated with me so deeply is that I can accept my child isn't who I expected him to be. I can accept that I'm not the mother I thought I would be. And I thought I had to fight against all of it. I didn't know I could accept it. Like that was foreign to me. And I thought it was like a pretty small cookie. I thought like, oh yeah, I knew this. I know this stuff, but I didn't. And so I, I looked more into it. I eventually hired a parenting coach for myself. And that's where I finally learned what made my son tick, why I got so angry. You know, I always say parenting is on sort of two sides, right? On the one hand, it's your child and what's going on with them. But on the other hand, it's you and what's going on with you, right? And so we've really got to reconcile both of those sides in order to get the harmony that we want, the cooperation that we want. So that led me to having these undeniable changes and transformation in myself, my relationship with my son and my family that I just had to do this. So I transitioned out of my corporate marketing job into being a parenting coach. So that is sort of the long, short story of it. I could go into more detail. I could go into less detail, but there it is. (laughs) Well, I, there's a lot that you said that really kind of hits home. First of all, I think, you know, you are dealing with some extremes in your parenting situation. However, I think so many of our kids today are facing many of the challenges that your son was facing. You know, anxiety is through the roof, ADHD, like the list goes on of the challenges that our kids have. And you said something, you know, that kind of reminded me of when my kids were younger and things didn't go the way I expected them to. And I, I felt a lot of shame because I didn't actually really appreciate that it could be a difference in my child versus my parenting. I thought it was all my parenting. And then it was like, to even ask for help is hard when you feel that way or to acknowledge that you need help. So what you said really resonated with me. Why did you find it hard to ask for help? I'm curious. Because, because it was my parenting and I was supposed to know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And because the people around me didn't seem to be having a problem. I felt like I was doing all of the same things they were doing, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't working for me. And I, and I never really stop to say, Hey, wait, maybe there's something different about our situation. Mm. I just thought it was a defect in my parenting. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And, and it's the should, I should know how to do this. How should you, how should you, what training did you have? Did you go to school for it? No. You know, like it's the most important job we do and it's the job we do without any training or schooling. And then we're afraid to ask what the heck? Yes. Yes. And this idea, you know, the old school idea of let's read a parenting book and that's mm. going to tell us how to do this. And, and don't get me wrong. There's a lot of really good parenting books. You happen to have one of them, but, but, you know, this idea of like our kids fit in a mold 
that doesn't really work, especially in today's world, because our kids are experiencing so many differences between families, between siblings. I was just talking to somebody earlier today about how different their children experienced seventh grade because one was through the pandemic and the other one is in seventh grade today, you know? So Mm -hmm. our, our kids are not cookie cutter. And so that I think is the, is, is the other piece of what you said, you know, I thought that the kid would just react the way the books said, not, (laughs) you know, like if I did it right, like it was simple math. If I do X, Y, Z the right way, then the output will be this, which it was not. So I think that, and you, I I believe are the first person that really, I heard the term triggering from Mm. and kids are triggering. And that's something really hard to admit and it's maybe even harder to recognize in ourselves until after, until after it happens. But we're talking about middle school girls. And mm. I think middle school can be a really emotional, triggering time for both parents and kids. Mm. For me, having a daughter going into middle school, the emotion that I felt, that told me I need help, right? Like I knew because I knew I was reacting to things that were mine. They were not hers because she wasn't even there yet. But talk to me about the middle school years and what you experienced with your kids and what you're hearing from other parents at that stage. Yeah. Okay. So let's, can we define those ages? I'm Canadian and uh, from the West coast. And so we sometimes have middle school in some areas and sometimes don't. So your ages, what do you define those as? So it's, it's generally going to be between 12 and 14. Yeah. And it varies a little bit depending on where you're at and which schools, but it's generally sixth through eighth grade, six, seven, eight. Okay, great. Okay. So this is a very, wow, there's a lot going on with our kids at this age. And with girls, what we have is so many things happening. And in this present moment, we have added things that we never had to worry about, right? Whether we like it or not, social media is here. Access over the internet is here, meaning that if they have a phone, which at 12 years old, most kids have phones, right? And that means they have access to pornography. And it also means that uh, predators have access to them bullies have access to them. So there, there is a, there is a whole other side to parenting that we are pioneers in, right. That we just don't know about. We're learning as we go, but physiologically and in their brains, there are some big changes that are happening as we get into those teen years. So 12 they're they're, they're, they're in there, right? Of course we have hormonal changes, but we also have brain changes. And I really believe that it is the changes in the brain that is something we really need to understand. And we don't usually know this stuff. Like I said, like, where'd you go to school for parenting? Like you didn't, right? And if you did, this 100% would be a class is what is your child's brain doing at this age? What's happening right now? And there is a massive reorganization going on. They absolutely do want to, as part of their brain development, take risks. They also straddle between being independent, 
and dependent on you. So one minute it's like, hug me, hold me. The next minute it's like, don't touch me. Right. (laughs) One minute it's like, tell me what to do. And the, the next minute, or maybe that same minute it's don't talk to me, you know, or what do you know? Right. It's like, and also they get your face and your facial expressions wrong half of the time. I remind my 17 year old in particular, because he gets really upset if I like look a little confused only because my own wheels are turning and I'm trying to like, I'm trying to register what he's just said. He's like, why are you mad? I'm just thinking like, I'm just give me a second, you know? So with that said, dependence, independence, and friends are more important. That friend group is more important than your family. So let me end there. And, but there's more, so much more I have to say. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, you just said something about your son interpreting your facial expressions and a hundred percent that's happened in our household. And it, it kind of just dawned on me that at this age, because they're really generating their own ideas at this point, they are figuring things out for themselves in the past. I don't know if they put as much interpretation in our body language, in our facial expression. So now it's not just like figuring out your own story as a parent. It's also figuring out the spin your kid is giving what you're doing, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And just like us, our kids have their own limiting beliefs about us. Like you always say this to me, you never let me do this. You And it's like, well, hold on a second. Actually, that's not true. You know, or like, you're just going to fly off the handle if I say this. Actually, no, I won't. You know, so they have limiting beliefs about us. They have ideas about us that they think are true that are not. And we've got to work really hard at our relationship, even though it does feel like rejection a lot of the time. Like parenting will break your heart, period. These years <laughs> will break your heart. And it's part of it. The whole point of this time is to prepare your child mentally and emotionally and physically to be away from you to live their own life. So we need to transition from being a teacher where we're teaching them and, 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 and showing them the way to guiding them, to letting them make their own mistakes, to letting them fall short, fall down. And we need to be there to be a container for their angst, to hold space for their disappointment, their tears, their embarrassment, their shame, their anger, and let them know that we're just there to help them work it out without judging them or criticizing them and put ourselves in their shoes. And what that does is, and what you said, is it means that we need to deal with our stuff, our emotions, and be there for them their emotions and meet them where they are, not where we are, right? Not, not our middle school self, right? Because it's very easy to go back and be like, I know, I remember exactly what it's like to be in grade 12 or like my son is in grade 12. I remember it so vividly, but I'm not him. And I got to put my stuff aside. I got to just be there for his experience, which is so radically different than anything that I ever experienced. Yeah. Parenting is a completely different world. And, you know, I feel like the emotions that kids are going through at this age are radically different or changing on a daily or, you know, hourly basis. And that makes some of us parents feel like we had it figured out for a while. You know, you got through yeah. the early years. We we know what to do with a baby. We got through the toddler years and then things were pretty smooth sailing for a while. And then you hit 
these years, you know, yeah. that, that tween and early teen years. And suddenly we're dealing with a different person. Yeah. And you said something that I want to talk about because you said we need to be a container for their angst and like, let them, let them come to us and get through all of those hard emotions. How do we do that? Because, you know, it's, it's hard to do that without getting sucked into it. It's hard to do that without re reacting or overreacting to it. And, and how do we do that and make sure that they're learning healthy ways to process those difficult emotions that are a given at this age? Mm, that's such a good question. What a good question. I love it. So it really comes down to really being their emotional coach. And we've got to learn some of this too. This is what I've learned over the years. And what it starts with is listening to your child, even if you think it's stupid, even if you think what they're upset about doesn't matter. It matters to them. Therefore, it needs to matter to you. So we need to shut our mouths because they've already heard it. We need to stop talking so much and we just need to listen. And when you listen deeply to someone, it feels like love. It feels like belonging and we all need to be heard. And so the gift you give your child is to really listen to them. And you're right. They're coming up with their own thoughts, their own ideas, their own opinions. Let them have them. And if you don't understand them, while you're listening, you say, tell me more. So this whole listening piece includes you listening without distraction, without judgment, without comparison, and listening to understand, not to respond. Then you repeat back what you heard them say. So what you're saying is this, this, and this. Did I get that right? Yes, you got it right. Or no, you didn't get it right. Okay, okay. Well, hold on. Then I missed something. Let's go back, right? And then you add in empathy. Most of us don't know how to do empathy because we were never really given it ourselves. This is so powerful because all you're doing is saying, if I were to put myself in your shoes, I bet I would be feeling rejected. I'd be feeling hurt. And I'd be feeling maybe a little scared because this, this, and this one to two, three, one, sorry, uh, two to three reasons why, because your friends talked without you because your friends made plans and you weren't a part of it or because whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. Even if you don't agree. And then how can I support you? What do you need from me? Sometimes just being there to hold that space for them, to let them have a safe place to explain why they're devastated is all they need. And if they need support, yes, I'll support you, but I'm not going to run my agenda on you anymore. I'm not going to say, well, now you need to do this. And if it wasn't, if, if you had just done this, then you wouldn't be in this position. Where would you? I told you she was going to be a bad friend to you. Like, no, stop. That is about you. That's not fair, right? Yes, sure. In a perfect world, your child would have listened. Even the most obedient child only listens 80% of the time. So don't expect it, <laughs> especially not from your middle schooler. I love that you just gave us a formula because yes. in the moment, it's really easy to get caught up in the emotion on both sides. And so you've given us something that we can take a deep breath. They don't have to know that we're doing this, but 
we start with listening. We follow up with giving them back what they fed us to make sure that we are understanding their position. And then we're asking them how they want us to support versus my natural reaction is to get in there and fix it. Yeah. I am a fixer. My husband is better at being a listener. And I, I said, I used to think I was a really good listener, but I'm not, I'm a good problem solver. And that's the piece like that. If you don't have that, even if you listen, but then you jump in to solve, it's, it's not giving them necessarily what they actually want. Yeah. And you're not giving them it. You're not, you're not actually helping them. You're actually doing it because you need to feel better. It's actually your anxiety. And I mean, I don't mean you, Janice, I just mean you and the big, big you, but it is, but it is, is. because at this age, it's like this visceral reaction to want to make it go away. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I never really realized it until this, this age. Yeah. And, and it is so collectively it's a parenting reaction, right? But so we, we have a formula that we can communicate with, but what do we do with our parenting angst, with our feeling of wanting to make that challenge, that bad feeling go away? Mm. To name it is to tame it. So for you to say to yourself, you know, take, take a moment and notice what you're feeling. And this is your own work. So you do this away from your child. Notice what you're feeling. You know, where is it happening? What is is it? I'm scared. I'm embarrassed. I am worried about my kid. I don't know what's in store. I feel lost. I feel helpless. You know, there's many different emotions that we're feeling. And if you can acknowledge them without judging them, First of all, know that you're not alone because so many of us feel that way. And when you can actually name it, there is actually a mechanism in your brain that where the left side of the brain releases soothing neurotransmitters to the part of your brain that's activated the amygdala to calm it down. So for you to say, you know what, I'm just scared. And then you're like, ah, that's it. That's it. That's the brain helping you. And that's why the brain is so important, right? Because it works for us too. And our children co-regulate off of us. So if we can be mindful when we're talking to our child, that what we model and not always easy, you know, I, I resent, I resented that many times when people said, well, you go to model, model, model. And I'm like, oh, I don't know how. take some deep breaths because this isn't an emergency. This situation is a conversation. Let's not go into our lower brain into fight, flight, and freeze. Let's just breathe deeply. And there's a connection between your lungs and your brain that says, when I breathe slowly and deeply, I'm safe. And if you can be calm, your child can also be calm, right? And we'll deal with that other stuff later. Like you might be spinning out of control. I have definitely had those moments where I'm talking to my child and the clock is ticking. We got to get to school. My child is having a crisis and I don't have time for this. I've got a call that I've got to get to whatever. And I just have to feel the anxiety. I have to just feel it. Right. It's like, it's like the wave of anxiety is here and I'm on it. I'm on my surfboard on it. And I am like, this is a high wave and I just need to, to ride it. So does that answer your question? It does. And I think you know, 
you can't do it in the moment. You're right. But, but if we, if we kind of go through the moment and then reflect back on what happened, then the next time, hopefully when we're taking that breath before we react, we can recognize it before it happens. That's the goal really, Mm -hmm. right? Is that we get to a point where we can recognize it and, and control it by allowing it, I guess is really like, I think a lot of us were raised to control our emotions by just like stuffing them in there, right? 100%. Just muscle through it. What you're saying is different because it's not just hammer through it. It's no, you are feeling anxious. You are feeling scared and that's okay. You are still trying to navigate an event or an emotion with your child and that's okay as well. And they're having that feeling. So I I think that's really helpful because when we try to cram down our own emotions, I think we try to get our kids to do the same thing. And our kids don't have emotional regulation yet. We do. They don't. But let's face it. We don't feel our feelings. We numb ourselves. We are, we are all numbing ourselves in one way or another with social media, with drinking like wines, wine and moms seem to go hand in hand. And that's sad in a way. I love a glass of wine and I, I, I'll fight for my right to have a glass of wine, but that's not the point. Like numbing yourself, having playdates where you're drinking and things like that, you know, or overworking or overworking out or, you know, whatever it is we do, but our kids need to feel their feelings all the way through. So I always look at it like, there is a tunnel that is the emotion and they're just a train and they just need to go all the way through the tunnel to get over it. We see that tunnel. We're like, Oh, hell no, I am not going through that tunnel. I will numb myself through it. I'll deny it's there. I'll find another way around it. I'll bury it. And if we bury our feelings and emotions, like we've kind of been taught to do like get over it or, you know, big boys don't cry or don't be such a cry baby or all those messages that we've gotten. You're so dramatic we shove it down, it's coming back out and it's going to come back out all over your family. And that is why we rage and get so upset. And that's not fair. So, but we just haven't been taught that. We just haven't been taught that. So here it is. This is what we need to do. And it does take a little bit of practice, but it's the most important job we do. So it's worth it. Yeah. I, what you just said really hit home. I think for a lot of parents is that, you know, if you stuff it down, it's coming back all over your family. And so you think that you're doing everyone a favor by keeping it in, bottling it up, pushing through, drinking the wine. But in reality, you're not helping yourself. You're not helping your children or your family. No, you're really not. You're really not. And and you're also not alone. Like I, I, I don't want to, I don't want anyone to feel bad if they are, because we don't know any other way. Yeah. And why, why do you think that we don't know another way? And what I mean by that is why isn't that part of the parenting book, right? Why aren't we talking? We we talk so much about growth and development in our kids, but we talk so little about how one day we are not parents and then the next day we are, and it completely changes our life and our emotional composition. You know, it's so interesting that you ask that because I ask myself that too. You know, I think it's kind of like focusing on the wedding and not the marriage. You know, I think we're so focused on the baby and 
we don't realize how much it's going to change us. And so what happens is we just end up doing what was done to us, good, bad, or indifferent, right? However we were parented is how we will be, how we will parent. And it isn't until we, we deal with that stuff. But I also think that technology has, has improved so much that in functional MRI machines, so fMRI machines, we can actually see how different responses activate different parts of the brain. And we know because we can see it, that when we use empathy, it calms the brain down. So when you know that, doesn't it make it more worthwhile to, to want to do what we know actually works because we can see it working. And I just don't think we knew that before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've learned so much about kids and about emotions and about the brain function that at the end of the day, we want an outcome. And I think most or all parents want a great relationship with their kid. And in the moment it might get, they might trip on themselves, but we want to have happy bonding moments with our kids. So if empathy is the way to get there, I think, of course, if we know that it works, we want to use it. Yeah. And it feels good. It feels like how you always wanted to feel as a parent. It's like, this is the feeling that I always thought I would feel not frustration and anger and resentment. No, I want to feel this. There's nothing better than feeling connected with your child. There just isn't. It's fun. It's beautiful. It's warm. It's happy. And that's what we want. Right. And so we just keep connecting with them. And then we build that relationship with them. And when we've built that relationship in those formative years, and by the way, it's never too late. If you've got a middle schooler right now, you've got a 14 year old, you've got somebody who who maybe is in high school. It's never too late. It's never too late to connect with them again. So don't feel that way. It does help though, if you can do it all along the way so that when these years come, you've got that strong foundation where your child already knows that you are their best bet. And that really does help knowing that you are the safe place for your child is, is a really big deal for their social, emotional well-being. And I think that's the other thing that we are understanding now. Uh, I I went to see this author, um, Rick Hansen, and he's written a book called Resilient. And he said that he was in a room full of CEOs, like, you know, leaders and company. And he said, how many of you were valedictorians of your class? And only a couple of hands went up, which he equated to being the smartest person in the room isn't the most important thing. Being the most emotionally intelligent person in the room is the important thing, right? Because we all know, and we've probably all worked with that person who is the smartest guy in the room or girl in the room, but they're kind of a jerk, right? Like I don't really want to work (laughs) with that person because like, they're nice. They just bulldoze or interrupt you, or they're, they're totally focused on themselves or whatever it is. You don't want to work with them. You don't want to promote them. You don't want to be on their team, you know, all that stuff. So that's, I think the other reason why we're seeing it now, because we realize how important it is. And you can really pick out somebody who you can see is very emotionally unintelligent, right? Yeah, you definitely notice. And you're right. Work is the easiest environment, I think, to pick it out because you're like, how do you not know this by now? Exactly. And oh my goodness, how does that person get away with that? Because like that shouldn't be okay. And they end up getting, they, they don't do well. So 
Is there any one thing that you want parents to remember through these years? Oh yeah. It's temporary that they will go away from you, but they will come back. And I know it's hard. It's so hard. So have a support system, you know, have have somebody you can talk to and vent to have a way to take care of yourself too. And know that they may come back, but it doesn't mean they're going to come back to live with you. You know, try not to live in the past or the future too much. Try to be in this moment, but this will pass. It won't be this hard forever. And the more that you can honor who they are, where they are in this moment, the easier it's going to be because you're not going to be fighting against them. And let's just remember the whole reason that we had kids wasn't just so we could have another human live with us for 18 years. We want a relationship with them for life. Let's not ruin it in these few years where their brain is going through such big changes. Hormonally, they're going through massive changes. Don't take it personally. Stay in the moment. It will pass. So I hope that helps everybody. It does. I think that's wonderful. And it, it's hard to remember in the moment, but you're absolutely right. This is temporary. Yeah. Thank you so much, Robin. Can you tell everyone where they can learn more about your work? Oh, of course. Well, thank you for having me. I just want to give you my gratitude. I'm so, I, I so appreciate it. And I hope everybody enjoyed what I had to say and you can find me. So parenting for connection is my website, parenting F O R, not the number, uh, for connection. So you'll find me on, uh, my website there and my YouTube channel that I mentioned is, uh, is also parenting for connection and, uh, and then Instagram it's Robin McMahon. And uh, I also have a Parenting for Connection Facebook page and then a couple of groups as well. So you can find me in all of those places. And, you know, the work that I do is to help moms, especially moms, because I feel like moms just beat ourselves up so much. You know, moms that have those high needs kids that are extra, that are really difficult. You know, that's really my area of expertise because that's what I live every day. And I know how to get through to those kiddos. And I know how good it feels when you see those kids really thrive in a world that doesn't always suit them. You know, like we said, kids are so different these days. We need to not look at typical kids. We're all different. We're all different. And brains are like fingerprints. So you can find me in those places and more. And uh, yeah, I hope that helps. (laughs) Thank you so much. Brains are like fingerprints. I love that. I'm going to remember that one. Thank you for listening to the Raising Middle School Girls podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more conversations with experts designed to help you support your middle school girl, please hit subscribe. You can also sign up for the newsletter at the link in the show notes to receive emails about tips and resources, upcoming events, and new podcast episodes, all designed to support you and your child.